if it's okay with everyone, we are going to stretch. I'm glad you chose to come here, and I really very grateful for the opportunity to be able to share with you a little on our community engagement facilitation and cross-cultural communication. Now here, I have to confess, I find myself in a cross-cultural communication environment, so if it doesn't make sense to you because this accent is different from what you're used to hearing, please raise your hand and I'll try and repeat myself a little more slowly. And uh, <laughs> if I get too nervous, I may speak very fast. If I'm going too fast for you, raise your hand again and I'll to be a tech analyst. Was it the accent or was it the speed? And uh, if I get excited and my knees start having fellowship or my hands start having fellowship, raise your hand again and I will calm down and uh, <laughs> we'll carry on. My name is Alice Musumba. Uh, I'm originally from Kenya. I've been in America for 10 years. Uh, still not gotten the American accent. I'm working on it, but it's not coming. So, <laughs> um, My background is... Um, I worked in Kenya in community health evangelism programs in Kenya, um, had a degree in agriculture, came to the U.S. and uh, joined my husband who was doing his graduate studies here, and I ended up doing a public health degree, which was wonderful. And now I work for the health department in Bismarck, North Dakota. I'm their BRFSS program coordinator, and I'll, I'll tell a few stories here on that. But it's fun, moving from Kenya through Dallas, to finally settle in Bismarck has been life-transforming, to say the least. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, I am glad to be here. Dr. Dwelly was not able to be with us. He had a work emergency that he had to go back to attend to. He's my boss. And so he had to go back and uh, take care of a few things. So our topic today is um, community engagement, facilitation, and cross-cultural communication, as I said. And we'll try and do this in about 40 minutes or less so that we can have time for questions and comments and sharing amongst ourselves. Because really, community engagement facilitation is really not someone standing and talking to you about it. It's us discovering it together. But in this forum, it's hard for, for that to be achieved in 50 minutes. So we're going to tell you, I'm going to tell you. And then after that, we're going to talk about it as much as we can. Engagement, facilitation of communities to own their problems and solution. Very, very important. And um, as I said in the previous talk, for those of you who are there, if this is a repetition, I apologize. Um, that CDC defines uh, community engagement as engaging a community um, to action, sorry, facilitating community action Community-driven actions. Alice, calm down. So, I'm good. <laughs> and so what we're saying here is that true community engagement is when the communities are facilitated to take care of their own issues and actually address them, rather than me, the specialist, whatever that specialist would be, coming and tell them, telling them what to do or doing it for them, empowering the communities to take care of their needs. So, what is facilitation? It's a process. It's not a thing you do. It's a walk you walk with the communities. And 
What am I helping them do? I'm helping them effectively prioritize their needs. Because if you ask me, Alice, what are your needs? And I saw potential for you to help meet my needs. I have a mile long of needs and some more. But when you want to walk alongside me, so you're not my savior in that aspect, you may help me see, I may have a mile long worth of needs, but I can prioritize them to two or three that I can start working on right now. Looking through the strategies that the, and, and uh, the resources that the communities have. Because many times, even in the poorest of the poor, they have been dealing with those things. They will continue surviving long after I'm gone, even though they have those needs, because there are some things that they are getting right. How can we help them strategize and prioritize those things that they are doing right? What resources are they, do they have within themselves to address the needs that they have in those communities? How can they work more effectively? And there is always something they can do better within what, with what they have. And how can we collaborate so that there is synergy in helping reach the needs of our communities? So my work then as a facilitator is coming alongside them, helping them tease out what those needs are, how they prioritize them, how they look through their resources, what they have within themselves to meet those needs, and how can they work together so that we are not in little silos trying to address the same problem using our limited resources. How can we bring them together and work together? So, at the end of this, if uh, anybody doesn't remember encouraging communities to own their problems and solutions, I have failed miserably because it might show up in every slide, yeah? Because <laughs> it's key. And it's very basic. It sounds basic, but it's at the core of any successful community work that you're going to do in the community. So, encouraging the communities to own their problems and the solutions. And this is because our aim should be a permanent change of risky behaviors rather than quick fixes to the identified needs. So we can say, oh, we need a hospital, we need a clinic, we need a school. Great. If you can bring it to us. But many times, we, the missionaries, the people who are working in these communities, even though we may have more resources than the communities have, we are also limited. And even if we were not limited, are we really helping? Are we going to build, as I told in the other story, are we going to build those pit latrines and they will end up not using them? So um, it requires patience to work with communities because, again, I'm trying in many places to help that community see it's their need. It's not something Alice has to come fix. It's their need. It impacts them, and they come with, up with the solutions. I may help come alongside them, realize what the solutions are, but it's their, it's their issue, and it requires patience. Many times we want to be able to go in there, come back, and give stories. We did this in two weeks may not happen if you are going to be doing community engagement or community, community work at the community level where you're empowering them. And that's hard for us because we want to be able to give good stories of what we did in the field with tangible results to show. And one of the key things here is it utilizes horizontal communications. Once I come here, once I stand here, regardless of what 
My initials are after my name. I am the teacher. You are there to listen. And you may like it. You may not like what I am saying. You go criticize it later. But right now, you are all attention because I am standing here. But for it to be real change, it's what we talk amongst ourselves. Yeah, I like what she said, but you know, I think it would work really well if we did X, Y, Z. Horizontal communications where we are talking at our own level, not listening to someone who's standing over us and telling us things. So one key important thing on community, facil- community engagement facilitation is utilizing horizontal communication systems within the community. And that then might call for me as the facilitator in that community, to realize who are the key people in that community that I might invest in so that they then are able to, at the community level, talk about those principles in a language that makes sense to the community. So, having asked, said that, yeah, I'm speaking English, but do we find ourselves speaking a different language? Now, it's easier when you're in a cross-cultural setting where, well, yeah, I'm the only white person there, I'm the only American there, I'm the only French person there, I'm the only whatever. So the language is different. But do we find ourselves speaking a different language, even when we're using English, amongst English speakers? So I am a doctor. So I use doctor's jargon. And I am expecting that they are understanding. And they are... Not quite getting it. Oh, you're a public health guy, and you're talking about your interventions. And a, what is an intervention? Oh, you're a preacher using, using your Christian jargon, and you're expecting it to make sense to these people. And we find ourselves getting frustrated. Here, I've crafted a very good intervention. Okay, that big word again. Solution for their problem, whatever that is. I've shared it with them. I've talked to them. I've Spend time. I've many even times say wasted time taking them through the steps, and they still didn't change. And it becomes frustrating. Found ourselves in that situation many times. Sometimes, yes, we all have. So why do we get frustrated when people are not changing, even after they hear what? They say we've told them over and over again. Until back in Kenya, they would call me the chair girl. You don't have to know my name. You just know she's the chair girl because she's the girl who's always talking about community health evangelism. You know the doctor. You know the preacher, right? She'll be preaching to you. We even get those titles, but the messages we are presenting to those communities aren't hitting home, and they're not bringing about change. If you found yourself in that situation, which I have several times, you might be experiencing culture shock, even if you are in your own hometown, so to speak. And uh, we maybe might benefit in a few skills of community uh, communication skills. I need them. So, message versus meaning. I know what I need to tell you. I tell you, and I think I'm using very good English, and uh, you don't get it. Why is that? Because the meaning is what I, or you as a recipient, hear me say, you marinate it with the stuff that you already have, your experiences, your knowledge, your, in your head. 
say, I think this girl is trying to tell us X. And many times, what I said, and the end product that came out of your hearing what I said and mixing it up with your experiences, with your knowledge, may or may not be the same. So what is communication? Because I want, when I say you need to boil water for you to hear, deep here, you need to boil water for you to go actually do it. So, how do I help this creative process to be such that the input that I'm putting into you, my message, brings you to an individual meaning that makes sense, the same, has the same meaning as I intended it when I began. So that is a communication model uh, that has been used a lot, and uh, it has seven components. And uh, I'm sure this might be basics for most of us, but it might be worth for us, worthwhile us going through that. So there's a source, Ali, standing here and talking to you with a message. That's what I'm telling you about. And you are my respondent. Now, how I give you that message, how I encode it, I may stand here and deliver it to you via a lecture, a PowerPoint, a newsletter, whatever. I encode it in a way that I hope will make sense to you. You then have the responsibility of decoding it and saying this is what this girl is trying to say. And all that takes place in the environment of noise, whether that be my accent or uh, I'm too cold here now that I'm from Kenya or I'm too warm here now that I'm from North Dakota. It's all... <laughs> That's the, con uh, and the context. How does that apply to where I am? And what feedback are you giving me? Are you giving me a look that says, Alice, you've lost them? Or are you giving me a look that says, we are engaging? And then how does that then impact how I move it forward to the next thing? Let's look at this a little more. So, the source, Alice, with a message encoded it in telling stories or PowerPoint and talking to you. Um, you're receiving it and again, having hearing my words and letting them marinate with what you already have in your system and saying, I think this is what she's saying. That creative process of encoding and decoding it. And the feedback. I, once in a while we'll hear people laugh. Times it's very quiet. At times I have a look that says, better go over that again. Or and says, yeah, I'm getting it. What feedback am I hearing? Now, that is important because some feedback might be confusing to us. Um, I am, I'm a very, let's see, how do I tell you this? So I am, I'm a very interactive person. I want to hear you talk to me. I am a good Lutheran. You don't move in church. But I happen to be a Kenyan. You dance. And I'm confused. My feedback might not mean the same thing. And different cultures. And so we'll say, gosh, I talked to that person and all she did was stand there and is it because I'm reading that feedback as an American? 
Well, Alice was just there because she was trying to conserve all the energy she has because she's too cold, and you, mis- you misread it. So we have to be careful what we are reading as a feedback when we are talking to people. Is that feedback really what they're trying to say? And the next one is noise. As I said, okay, so I was invited to speak at a, a, a physical therapy student's class. Did you hear that? Noise. And seriously, they were building right above us. And when I got to this point, the builders there, it's like they knew. They started drilling away. So I had to be quiet. Yeah? <laughs> and I was like, noise. It, it interferes with our communication, with people hearing it. And it could be in the, our talks one-on-one. So um, that was physical noise where it was just distracting. Other times, I told you, and it's not a joke, when I get really excited or really nervous, I'll say something and I'll just clap. And I don't know I'm doing it. And uh, <laughs> that's noise. And so what the... I was talking about it, and after my talk, this gentleman came and said, you did a very good job, Alice, but um, I have a gift of criticism. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when someone starts, introduces themselves that way, you brace yourself for what's to come. So I said, okay, go for it. I think I can take criticism, okay. I really enjoyed your presentation, but every once in a while, see, you have a different accent from mine. I'm not saying it's bad. You're very articulate, but um, you have a different accent from mine. He's a North Dakotan. And um, every time you were about to finish a sentence or something, you clapped. And I didn't hear the ending, and so you lost me. So would you try next time when you give a presentation or talk? You do, you, you do okay, but don't clap. <laughs> noise in communication comes in different ways so it may not be the clapping and I'm trying very hard not to clap because I'm not too anxious right now but when I do get anxious I'll clap or it may be as I said as you said it nicely well it's, it's not really your accent it was my accent if I had been one of them even if I clapped he would still have heard what I said because he would not be having to work so hard to, what is she trying to say? How does that translate to North Dakota in English? <laughs> so I actually gave him a double whammy of noise. My accent and my clapping. And it might be how close I'm standing next to you as we're talking and all the time you're like, if only she would give me space to think. Or you the Americans who like space, I'm like, if only he would come closer so that I can hear what he's talking about. <laughs> Noise comes in different forms and fashions. But we have to be aware of that as we communicate with our audience, whether it be a group setting or one-on-one. How is that impacting what we are talking about? The next thing is context. Context is the making concepts or ideals relevant to this situation. So we had this presentation, cross-cultural communication and community engagement. What's that got to do with what I'm doing? And you might say, 
nothing. So it's just one of the other classes I have to attend so that I can get my credit, continuing education credit, so I'll go to it. But it really does not apply to men. But if you've been on a short-term mission and you got yourself in a situation where you really wanted to communicate to these guys and you really didn't quite get through to them, I want to be there because maybe she might give me a few tools that I might use next time I go to that meeting. It becomes more relevant. I'll give you a few examples. So in the early 90s, your president then, President Clinton, had to have heart surgery, Right? Did we do any messaging for those of us who are in the medical field in, uh, in uh, public health on cardiovascular health? No. Missed opportunity. It was in the news. Everyone knew. This guy is having heart surgery because we need to open the arteries. Now, had we in public health, had you in the medical field used that as a forum to share these great ways to reduce risk factors for cardiovascular, to improve cardiovascular health, you had captive audience. Because it was relevant, it was happening, it's impacting us now. About a month, or, a month ago, we had terrorists take over Westgate Mall in Kenya. The whole world was focused on what's going on in Kenya. If Kenyan is smart and would listen to me, this would be the time for them to tell, to tell us about disaster preparedness. Tell, talk to us about our corruption issues. Talk to us about issues that are relevant in very many spheres of our lives. That can, you can be, just say, if we had been prepared, people wouldn't have been there then. If we had not been corrupt, we wouldn't have let in these people. What can we do to make sure that doesn't happen tomorrow? If they took advantage of this situation, the message will hit home. And chances are it will make, it will bring changes in the community. So this, this is a slide from North Dakota. I work for the health department in North Dakota, so I have to give you a North Dakota story. Um, West Nile virus. Stay off in the Florida area. Anywhere you have horses, maybe you had some here in Kentucky. The virus says spreading amongst people. And the health department spent lots of money trying to tell people in North Dakota, prepare for West Nile. This is how you take care of yourself. Didn't get any traction. In August of 2003, we lost our first North Dakotan to West Nile virus. All of a sudden, health department's materials were being asked for all over. What do we do to keep ourselves safe from... What had happened is... When they had started doing their campaigns earlier on when they started hearing it's in Florida and uh, other parts of the country. There was no concern in, amongst the, our population there. It doesn't apply to us. It applies to those guys in Florida. We are cold, we'll kill the virus. It will freeze to death. Concern started growing. When it started coming to our state, we had a few cases, and then someone died. And you don't want people to go to outrage, because that's when we now have riots and stuff. But by the time it got there, they could not get enough of the messaging that was going on, on how to prevent yourself, or get, protect yourself from getting the West Nile virus context. And so for us then, 
whatever our situations are, what are some of the contexts we can take advantage of in communicating whatever our message would be in the communities that we are working with? Just being aware that that's there and it's, important, it's an important facet that we can take advantage of as uh, we work with communities will be very helpful. So, community, uh, cross-cultural communi- communication. Many times we find ourselves uh, in um, contexts that are different from ours. And as I said, those contexts could be in any of those several, uh, seven dimensions. Worldview. So, if this Kenyan living in America, what is her beliefs? What's her what does she hold as important? And what do you hold as important? And what's the distance between your worldview and my worldview? Cognitive processes. What are my ways of thinking? Am I very linear from point A to point B to point C and finally to point D? Many of you here are. I happen not to be. It's all mixed up. I, I call it I've read a few of these thinking processes and they talk about Africans uh, and I'm like, I think I'm in the mixed up group because it's really not very linear, it's not circular, it's not jag- it's just mixed up. And how then will my way of thinking and your way of thinking, which might, may be different, impact how we communicate with one another? Linguistic forms, how do we express ourselves? So one thing that I try to avoid is um, when we're doing um, evaluations at work, confession. There's a place where you do your uh, your scale thing. Very good. Good. Okay. Not so good. Terrible. And then comments. I'll be very honest in my good, very good, terrible, etc., I try, unless I'm very passionate about something, to stay away from the comments. Do you know why? Even if I type it out so that you can't read my handwriting, the way I express myself is clearly very different from the way most of them ident- express themselves. And I, all, all you need to do is read the comments and say, oh, that's Alice. Different. Our behavior patterns. Our ways of interacting. How do we behave? Do I want you right next to me when I'm talking to you? Or do I want you a mile away? How, do I want to give you a hug when I see you? Or do I want to high five or do the public health greeting? <laughs> Media influence. How, how do we channel our messages? In Kenya, in the villages, it might be a skit, role play. If I'm walking out there, I mean... I bring up my PowerPoint. There's no tree that I can hook it up to. So this might be my way of communicating to you guys. Maybe totally different when I go to a village, and might be a little different if I have a different environment. I mean, a different audience elsewhere. So what are our ways, our social structures, our media influence? How do we channel our messages? And our motivational resources. What are our ways of making decisions? So here, I'll think about it. I'll let you know what I think.
tomorrow. In Kenya, and you go talk to my husband, talk to my mom, talk to my aunt, talk to my pastor, talk to whoever else will listen, and we'll talk about it, and then I'll tell you what we decided. Ways of decision making. And how does that impact how we communicate? Now, I want you to realize that the greater the distance in any one of these the greater the challenges in me communicating to that culture. Am I being aware of that as I go to that, the communities that I'm working in? And that cultural distance will not only impact how then I package my message, but who maybe I use to be the deliverer of the message. So, on the other side, I may need to be asking myself whether it's me, the source, or you, the respondent. This is, I, I saw this as the awareness, wheel, uh, the awareness wheel, and it really struck a chord in me. I need to be co- have it on the forefront as I communicate to people. What are they sensing? What are they seeing? Can, can they really hear me? Am I being relevant to, their, to them? What are the thoughts? What are my thoughts myself, Alice, even as I'm getting your feedback from you? What do I think is going on? Are these guys really getting it? Uh, What stories at the back of my head are marinating with the information that she's giving? And how does that interact with... What are my beliefs? What are my judgments? A woman shouldn't even be preaching. That's one of the issues I had to deal with when I was in Kenya when we started off. So how am I then preparing myself being this woman talking to a group of men who I know are already biased that way to address that bias as I talk to them. What are their wants? What do I want? What, what do I want you guys to hear? What do I want for myself? What response am I hoping for you? And for the people that you're working with, what do I want? And what will I do about it? Just something that you can input in your reaching out to them as you interact with the community for yourself and for the people that you're working with. So, Back to that cultural distance and assessing how that is. So that's me, the respondent, and you're coming to me. And my hope is then as you come to me, you're doing everything you can to reduce that cultural distance. When I have to give this talk, I want to know everything I can about my, my audience so that I can do whatever I can within my capability to reduce that cultural distance so that I'm able to communicate. And it's in all those aspects, uh, different dimensions. So my question then is, why do I even do it? Why, why cross-cultural ministries? Why, why do you want to do it? And I say, I want to do it because that's Our God is a missional God. He's called us to do it, and uh, he's given us some examples that we can follow. And I'll just go through two scriptures very briefly. Um, A a few scriptures, actually. Abraham, um, I think uh, in Genesis 12, 1 to 3 was a noise, Um, where God is calling him to go from his people to where he would show him and he would make him into a great nation. 
the nation of Israel. I mean, it wasn't fun for him to leave his home, but he did. And we may be called, not necessarily cross-cultural in terms of being across nations. It may be just right here in America. As I told you in the the earlier class, I wanted to be a missionary in China. God sends me to Dallas and allows me to to reach the Chinese in Dallas. It might be next door. You may not even have to travel. But God would want for you to be cross-cultural. And you're thinking, Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory of the one and only son of God who came from the father full of grace and truth. And he lived with us here on earth, became one of us with the ultimate goal of reconciling us back to him. Paul, one of my heroes, because I think I'm a rebel. and uh, He becomes all things to all men, so that by all means possible, he might save some. Isn't that what we've been called to do? He is obligated both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the Jews and the non-Jews, both to the wise and to the foolish. He's obligated. And my question is, do you think Paul's obligation to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, the world out there, is because of what Christ had done in him. Not necessarily because he was indebted to those guys. Are we not then all called in whatever we find ourselves doing? Are we not then not indebted to the people that we interact with? To the be bearers of the cross in whatever form that might be, using everything that we have been equipped with, public health for Alice, pastoral ministry for somebody else, whatever, to be a witness in the situations that we are in. And taking on what it is in the culture that we are working with. So to the Athenians, he speaks like them. He'll quote their big shots so that uh, they can hear him with the ultimate goal of sharing Christ with them. And so if I you are in Kenya and you want to be a good storyteller, even though you think that might be a challenge, you'll do whatever it takes for you to be a good storyteller and speak their language so that you can meet, perchance, share who Christ is in their lives do, by doing what you are supposed to be doing. I like what uh, St. Francis of Assisi is quoted of saying, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. We're very good at using words. But remember, a bigger percentage of our communication happens non-verbally. Are we taking advantage of that too? Or are we just too good at proclaiming because it's easier? I'm not saying proclamation is bad. No. It's important. But that's just one aspect of me preaching the gospel. And so that leads me to my final slide. You and I have been called. We are called people. And yes, Christ came from heaven and, uh, was, and did a very good job amongst us. That's why we stand today of being a cross-cultural communicator. Paul did his part. Abraham did his part. And many other people that we can mention. It's our chance. And it's our turn because we've been called. And he promises to go with us to the end of the world and end of time.
Questions, comments? Thank you. Yes, sir. Sometimes uh, we're working in communities where there's been a church for a while or there's been a, a development one for a while, and so there are indigenous leaders within the community um, that can sometimes help act as guides, but then there's still a lot of people in the community. You know, so if you're trying to do something, say, uh, there was a, an educational program in the community for a long time, and now you're trying to do something with health, or there was something with health for a long time, and you're trying to do something with mental health. Um, how do you um, involve different members of the community who are better? Some, you know, some members of the community are better at communicating with you and being honest with you, um, but they may already sort of be in a slightly different. They, they, may, they may have worked their way to a slightly different echelon within the neighborhood or within that village. How, how do you navigate sort of when there's different um, levels of expertise in communicating? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Yes, sir. Uh, I was in Papua New Guinea, and um, there was, you know, I was trying to learn their culture, and so there was a young man Peter had served on a ship called the Dulos, and so he had contact with those Westerners, but mainly a number of Westerners there, and he also you know, knew New Guinean culture real well, and he became my like cultural advisor. So by you know, one time I was asked to adopt a child, or the child was going to be aborted, and uh, so I had to go to him and figure out what to do. And so you know, I think that's what you're trying to say. And that's what you get from your, from your guy. Yeah. You know, and or learning 
after being in the cult for a long time. And realize uh, in reaching communities, um, you, you don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. And we are a body. So if I do have you who's great at being a doctor, and I have you be, being great at uh, whatever it is, why can't I bring you together, have you be able to speak to the community in your area of expertise, and again, remember, those horizontal communication systems, key. If I already have someone in the community who knows that stuff, I don't have to stand up there. They may invite me, and yes, I'll stand and give that talk. But when the discussion starts, I'll look to this person who is a member of that community who can speak their language, not necessarily English, Swahili, or Kikuyu, but their speak their heart language, their jargon, their innuendos, use that to communicate to them exactly what I wanted to share with them, because they may not hear me, but they will hear that person. Yes, sir. Um, I want you to comment on this. Um, as far as Kenya is concerned, um, you talked about cognitive processes. Um, I call this, are Kenyans like circular thinkers or linear thinkers? And what's the importance So, you ask me a question and expect a direct answer, yes or no. <laughs> I've been in America 10 years, so I'll give you a yes or no answer. But it's very hard because I want to give you my background. I want to tell you how that answer fits into what I'm about to say. I'll explain myself and find myself going round in circles before, and many times you'll say, oh, she didn't even answer my question. And in my head I'm thinking, I answered her, him, and I gave him an extra dose. So, <laughs> for free. So, um, I have a hard time. Uh, I, we, we definitely are not linear thinkers, that I can tell you. I'm not even sure we are really circular thinkers, but maybe I've been messed up having been here this long. I, I don't know. I would say we are more circular than we are linear, but um, we don't, I'd, at least Alice doesn't fit any of those two categories I'm mixed up. So what's the importance of stories? The importance of stories is I don't have to tell you on, on the go you're wrong. I'll let you figure it out by telling you a story. The value of stories is being able to share a moral with everyone, and it will be able to reach people at whatever levels they are at. So I might be an illiterate person who has no background in whatever you're talking about. I'll just get the moral of the story, Alice tell the truth at all times. Um, I may be a deep theologian or very knowledgeable person who's saying, okay, these are the three principles that she touched on her stories. And I'll get my edification from that long story and get my three points. And um, there'll be a kid there, because we are all together, lumped together, who'll just have a good story to tell. So the value of stories is that I'll remember it long after this PowerPoint is gone. Yes. Because I'll remember the story, and I'll remember the application that was put to that story. Aaron. Yes, sir. You said that uh, working effectively is one of the goals of facilitating of uh, community engagement, mm -hmm. and you said that different meanings, people have different meanings for things. Like, so you probably have 
Kenyans probably have a different meaning for effectiveness than Westerners do. So how does a missionary balance facilitating effectiveness and omitting ethnocentrism? <laughs> That's a big... Okay, you know, the way I think, feel, and believe is the way to think, feel, and believe. <laughs> True. The way you think, feel, and believe to you is the way to think, feel, and believe. And if Alice is doing it differently, she's not getting it. She's, what's wrong with her? There's something wrong with her. And this Kenyan is thinking, there's something wrong with this missionary. There's something wrong with this doctor. Because he is not seeing it my way. And so for me, I think being able to get to the community level. In the previous session, we talked about listening and really hearing those people that we are working with. Takes time. Takes, might be a waste of time to many of us who are goal-oriented. I came here to tell you A, B, C. And if I don't accomplish A, B, C, I've really not accomplished my goals according to me. But if I got you only to A and a little of B and you truly got it, it's worth it. So, patience, prayer, and practice, I think. <coughs> Any other thoughts from you guys? Yes. Uh, two thoughts that come to my mind, that particularly as a Westerner. I think sometimes we confuse uh, effectiveness with efficiency. And so if we think we get it, I mean, like that, we see that as being effective because it was efficient. But, that may, but you've just touched on that, where maybe your goal was ABC, uh, and because they didn't get ABC, we may think, well, that's not effective, when in reality they've got a part of B that's true. And then also I think uh, I really appreciate this discussion about communication is that for those of us who really do want to make a difference in people's lives, if there's a communication problem, yes, there are both sides to it, but I think for me, I need to take ownership of the problem rather than blame them. You know, they just don't get it. So if I take ownership of it, then I say, okay, whether you're involved in teaching or healthcare or whatever it might be, they didn't get it. Instead of blaming them, the question is, okay, what do I need to do differently? in order to be effective so that they will be. So another hand out there, and I'll come to you. Okay, I think we've... Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess I was only... I'm, I'm interesting, I guess, from a personality standpoint because I've always felt that I kind of have some nature and nurture. Like nature-wise, I feel like I was born in the wrong place because I feel like... As, and maybe it's just because I've lived here most of my life, but as Americans, we want to put everything in a box that... Is you're either A or B, and you either think you know you think this way or that way, or you are this personality type or that personality type. Mm-hmm. This is right. This is wrong. This is efficient. This means that we did what we're supposed to. But personality-wise, I have. If you fill out the Myers Briggs, if anybody knows what that is, I'm like, um, today I kind of feel like a thinker, but in five minutes I might be a feeler, or like. And sometimes I do this and sometimes I do that. And for me, asking more questions, I'm also the daughter of a teacher. So to me, asking more questions is how you answer things, kind of like what you said. Like, people, I drive people nuts because if they ask me a question, because in my role right now, I'm leaving to be a missionary, but right now I'm at a job. And at my job, I'm the help desk. And people will go nuts because I ask them, so what is the person trying to accomplish? Why are you 
asking me this question? And they're like, I don't have time for this. Just tell me the answer. <laughs> I ask three to four questions for every question you ask me. But to me, every individual and every situation is uniquely different. There may be pieces and parts of things that I know that may apply to the situation, but this might have a different spin on it because the person learns differently because learning styles are different. Like, I need to see and I need to touch and do. Somebody else needs to hear. So, like, the more questions I ask, the more I can get an idea of who they are, how they learn, and what they need. And like you said, if, if you didn't get it to me, I didn't communicate it right. Most of the time, it's not because they don't want to learn. It's because I've missed something, so I need to ask more questions. So whatever I do, no matter what it is, it's the more questions you ask, the better you're going to be off. And, and really interesting people. I may not fully be able to... I may never accomplish my set out goals, but if I have invested in that community and gotten my horizontal communicators equipped to carry on from where I've left, it will outlive me. Because hopefully that's the goal, that it's bigger than me. And me realizing that and doing everything I can to equip those around me to carry it on helps me be effective long after I've been gone. Question, one last question, and I think we are done. Yes. Do you have a recommendation for, like, a resource or something to help to grow in that area of education? Do it. I'm looking at a... Yes. And that diagram that she put up there as far as the different facets of communication, but I think it's a, it's a classic. I hope I got the right title. Communica Communicating Christ Cross-Culturally by Hessel Grave. Yeah. It's a great book. That's one of the classics. Mm -hmm. Something on uh, like serving eyes wide open on cultural intelligence. Do you know some of those things? Yes. Mm -hmm. Serving with eyes wide open. Serving with eyes wide open. Serving. Okay. I want to bring this to a close. Thank you very much for participating. I hope it helps us move closer to being better communicators. The Lord bless you all, and thank you very much.